Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Well, what we're going to study now in this section of Scripture is the real Lord's Prayer. Now, when we study this prayer, I want to caution you. It is Jesus's what we'll call longest prayer. Now, when I say that, I say that from two dynamics. The first way, it is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in Scripture. That doesn't mean that's the longest he ever prayed. I don't know. But recorded in Scripture, that's the longest prayer he ever, that's the longest prayer. But it's something else. When you go through the Lord's Prayer here, you're going to find it's the longest prayer in time because not only did he pray for himself, not only did he pray for the disciples that were surrounding him, but he also prayed for you and me, so it spans 2,000 years plus. And the prayer that he prayed for you and me is rich and it's important. The challenge that uh, we preachers have is that when we go through all of this, nine out of ten people often will just kind of, oh, it's a great prayer. It's almost like so deep, it's so rich that it's like, I, 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 can't, I can't get it all. Illustration. It'd be like when you go to the, um, some of these carnival events here on the island, you get, a, you get one of those, what do you call them, with the uh, uh, cotton candies. I, I never eat this stuff because it's just, it's just too, ew, but you, cotton candy, they're walking around. You can eat one of those and it's real sweet and it's really nice. But if you were in the middle of a swimming pool and that pool was filled with nothing but whipped cotton candy all around and for you to get out, you had to eat your way through that. I guarantee you'd have diabetes by the time you got to the end. Well, in a sense, this passage of scripture is better taken much slower than I'm able to take it so that we can get through it. But at the same time, there's so much there I'm not going to um, spend so much time that it drowns you in the content of this information. So I'm going to urge you, especially you that are wanting to grow in your knowledge of the Word and have that opportunity, that while I go through this, get yourself a good study Bible with good notes from a good teacher. Get yourself a good commentary. And then read it and ask the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God to affect you as the child of God in such a special way through this. And yeah, there'll be portions of it that you don't quite all get, there's portions of this that I don't yet all get, but it doesn't cause my faith to weaken or crumble. It just makes me want to dig in and get it. So I hope that'll be the case. So how am I going to present it to you so we don't uh, kind of get too shallow or go too deep? Another illustration might help. Um, if I brought up a bucket here and in it was water from the Pacific Ocean and I held this up over here, I would say, hey, you want to see the Pacific? Here it is. It's in this bucket. Well, you'd say, that's not very much of the Pacific Ocean, just that bucket. But if I took you to the beach and I said, this is the vastness of the Pacific Ocean. And do you know that our island here, the Hawaiian Islands, that we are the farthest away from any landmass of any landmass in the world and you are stuck out in the middle of this Pacific Ocean? When I first told my wife that, I thought she was going to die. She said, are we that far? What is going to, you know, that kind of thing. So it's the vastness of it. And then you have the bucket. One more illustration. There are some that study science, particularly oceanography. That bucket's still got too much of the Pacific Ocean in it. They've got to take that little slide of theirs and they dip a little tiny piece of the Pacific Ocean, a little drop of it, and then they can study that. 
I'm basically saying we will never plummet the depths of John 17. But whether you're looking at it vast, read it and leave, or whether you go a little bit deeper like this bucket and we stare at it and we can see it a little closer and see the little things swimming around in it, or those few that want to really go slow and take it a slide, a word at a time, I believe that the word, watch this, and Jesus' prayer will change your life. And so I hope that you'll enjoy the study and gaining from it as I have. So two levels. I'm going to give you some background stuff, some Greek words in this thing. I'm going to kind of outline it, although I don't like to give too much of a formulaic outline. And then there'll be some times I'll make just some simple practical app. This is how Jesus did it. Maybe there's some things in here we could do ourselves when we pray. So all of it's going to fit wherever you are if you pay attention to this and grab it. And if you've got questions, you don't understand something, I didn't make it clear, then if you'll call Pastor Dennis at 2 in the morning, he'll make sure you get the answer. Okay. John 17. Let's go back to the scriptures here, and we're going to now begin to unpack this. I mentioned a moment ago that this is the longest recorded prayer. It's the longest in time span. I put down here the prayers of Jesus. The Bible records 19 specific instances of Jesus praying. Technically, it's a lot more than that. If you really want to do a study on the prayers of Jesus, what you'll want to look at would be the following. This is for those who want to go deeper in Jesus' prayers. You're going to find that Jesus tells someone, I'm going to pray for you. He also then goes alone out in the desert or in a solitary place, perhaps, and there he prays. So you see him telling he's going to pray. Other times he goes to pray. And then there are other times in Scripture he's actually talking to God the Father. Now, it's kind of weird for those of you that are thinking, How, well, he's God. Why does he talk to himself? Do you know that was my very first Bible question I had as a new believer, as a 16-year-old surfer kid? I said, I read in here and says, why did he do that? Later on, he said, I'm praying because of those people watching me. I think a lot of times he's doing this not because of him not knowing and all that with God because he is God. Yeah, there's a limitation because he's man, but he's not limited because he's God. A lot of it is because, again, it goes back to that's what Jesus did. And if he did that and that was important to Jesus to show communication and communion with God the Father, then he's telling us that this is important for us to do the same thing. And now we're going to learn how he prayed and how rich that is. And I hope it will be a blessing to you. Well, let's look at the first three simple parts of John 17. I'm going to give them to you, although I'm not going to preach it as a hard outline. I'm going to give it to you just so you can do your own study. Jesus prays for three groups in here. The first group he prays for, he prays for himself and that he would have a life that would glorify the Father and that he would be glorified. So he prays for himself that there would be that glorification going on. That would be the first part. That would be found in verses 1 through verse 5 and we are going to talk about that if I don't run out of time today. So we're going to talk about him praying for himself that he would be glorified. Secondly, he prays then for his disciples. These would be the guys that are around him. There weren't 12, there were 11. One ran off, is preparing then to turn Christ in, so to speak. So he had 11 of them. It'd be, in, it'd be important for you to know that when we finished up last week, we talked about that Jesus was leaving the upper room and he was walking through the streets of Jerusalem and heading towards Gethsemane and all of that. While he's going through all of that, he's doing a lot of teaching. Probably took about 45 minutes, maybe, maybe a little bit more, not much. So he's doing his teaching. Now the teaching ends, and so now he goes and he prays to the Father. We'll, we'll see that in a moment. I'll make an application. But I want you to see, now he prays, prays for himself, they be glorified. Then he prays for his disciples because those who were around him at that time, knowing already what he would go through and what they would go through because of what, what he would go through. Then the third, he prays for his church. Those would be you and me. 
And even though he prayed for himself that he received the glory at the same time praying for the disciples, we're still all a part of that because it's all a part of the Lord. When he prayed for his disciples, he prayed for them to be protected. And I believe just as much as he wanted the disciples to be protected, he would want us to be protected, and we will learn a little bit more about what that protection was. And then when he prayed for his church, that we would be unified, and he doesn't mean that we'd be ecumenically all one, that every, anybody who names the name of God, that we're all this. There's a lot more involved in it, and I'm going to take another Sunday to talk about that. Not so much about neo-evangelicalism, that'll be in it lightly, but it'll be more into it. What does it mean to be unified? I may touch on it today. Let's go to the passage now, because I want to show you a little bit about the pattern of prayer here as he begins. In verse 1, John 17, it says, Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, and I'll stop there. In some translations, it says... After Jesus spoke these things, he lifted up his eyes. I I don't know if we have to make the big thing afterwards. I think he's just simply saying he finished his discourse and now he begins to pray. So after these things, he is now praying. Now what you might find very interesting, and I'm going to give it to you that want to go really deep. I don't have time to unpack this, but I encourage you to do it. When you go through John 17 here, you're going to find him talking about in prayer subjects and topics that he had already given during the discourse starting in chapter 13 and 15, 14, 15, 16, all the way up until the time he begins to pray. So what he's really doing when he prays in this prayer is he is now praying for the very things that he taught back then. To me, that is so cool what he did. Which now tells me, when I look at this, that those of you that are communicating God's word, that whether you're preachers, teachers, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, or you just flat out just shepherd your own home. Okay, that's the case. What he's doing here at the beginning of the model is that he begins to <clears throat> do the teaching and then he prays about what he just taught them. I would assume those of you have come to a point in your life that when you are going to communicate truth to someone, that you are what I call prepared. Have you ever been in a class where the teacher was not prepared? They're kind of trying to, trying to land the plane, but they don't know where to land it, okay? Then you have those that they are Prepared. Do you know the difference? Prepared. That means they're prepared, but they prayed about what they're going to be studying. They're praying about what they're going to be teaching. So they are prepared. Now watch this. You teachers that do this, how many of you, while you're working on the content and your delivery and all the stuff you do with it, all the technology and the object lessons, etc., 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 that you also take time to actually pray for yourself as the one communicating it. Secondly, you pray for the, te- the students who are going to get this stuff. And then are you going to pray for the people that are going to respond to the kids that you're teaching that they will be influenced by the ones you're very teaching, that, that next generation down the line. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? That's what Jesus is doing here. So he starts out by, we know he prayed ahead of time, then he dealt, did his teaching. Now here's what most people don't do. We hope they pray, prepare. We would like to think that they prepare but they often forget to pray after they taught the students. Have you thought about after you've done your teaching, homeschooler, teacher, mothers, whatever, that you would take some time, whether you're going to your next activity, you are now centering down on God and you are now praying for the people you have just taught certain truths. Now, I will teach you through this passage what Jesus did specifically and what he prayed and how he set it up in his prayer for those people. But I would like you to know that we not only prepare, prepare, but we also post-prayer. You got that? For those people. And I want you to know that this is kind of new to me. I mean, I kind of do all of that, but I don't really do it in the discipline. And I like to think I'm pretty disciplined. When I went through this study, it, it changed my praying even for you all. 
that I would pray more like Jesus. So even though this is not the model prayer, that would be Matthew, this is Jesus' real prayer, I can't go wrong if I pray like Jesus did. So there is a little bit of a pattern in here, and we'll see that in a few minutes. Then there's a posture of prayer here. Just in one verse, he says, And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said. Now all I want to say about the posture is to make it as simple as possible. If you do a word study on prayer through Scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, you will find many postures of prayer. If you want to do something really fun, on your way home this afternoon with the kids in the car, ask them if they can identify all the different postures of prayer that is mentioned in Scripture. Now, they'll rattle a bunch of stuff off, but make sure that it's not guesswork, that there really are described, really is described, those postures of prayer. That'd be interesting. You know, one... Remember the one he beat on his chest? Oh, I'm such a sinner. Then you had others that laid prostrate when they... Others, they prayed with their palms up. A lot of Jewish people would do that. That was indicating that I have nothing and I depend upon you. You have others that they would pray with their hands basically together. And when they did that, it was like saying, I can't do it by myself. It has to be of you. There's nothing... It's all. So there's many different postures of prayer in Scripture. But look at them. And see what they're like. Jesus, in this case, he just lifted up his eyes at this particular time. And I'm sure there's a lot of um, speculation of why up, why not down, why not sideways, why didn't he kneel. There's a lot of pictures of him. The point of the matter is, postures really don't matter of your body. It's the posture of your heart. Humbled and broken and dependent on a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that was his particular posture of prayer. But it moves from the posture of prayer into something else that I think is important as well. And that would be what I call that he prayed publicly. It is my belief that he prayed out loud. Now, I I can't die on that hill, but I'm thinking that everything he did was to model in front of his disciples or to mentor them. And we know that he didn't separate from them. So it's likely, at least in my conclusive mind, is that he prayed in some manner publicly. That is not to say it was a better prayer or that God can only hear our when we pray out loud. He prays even the quietness of our own mind, but he did pray out loud. And I guess if I'd like to do a little tiny application would be, do your kids hear you really have heartfelt prayers? I don't mean, Lord, thank you for this food. I don't mean, Lord, give us safety when we travel, although that is important. I, I want to know, do they hear some of the prayers when you say, Lord, let us know what we should do here. Should we get a puppy or not get a puppy? Should we move? Should we take this on? Should we go here? Should we do that? The struggles that you have, do they hear how you pour out your heart unto the Lord in a biblical fashion, not a whining thing, but a biblical fashion unto him? So he did that in a public manner, and they heard him pray. I, I would often wonder, I wonder what it would be like to hear his voice, his real audible voice. I don't. But I do have his written voice right here. And that's all that matters now. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Well, I want to now talk about this particular prayer. This week and the next time we get together on John 17, I'm going to try to show you that we become the answer of his prayers and how we can do that. How can I become an answer to the prayers that he prayed about us? So the first one is, is that when God is getting the glory then we become an answer to his prayer because he wants God the Father to get all the glory. And so when God is getting that glory through us and through what we're trusting him to do for us, oh, that glory is so beautiful. So let's go to the passage here. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. What hour is he talking about? 
I believe he's talking about the hour that he is now going to be betrayed, how he's going to go through the mock trial, how he's going to go through the bloody abuse, how he's going to go through the actual death on the cross for our sin, how he's going to go through the resurrection, that whole passion time of him on the cross. He's going to get the glory. I'm going to talk about that glory a little bit more in just a moment, but I wanted you to see, get all that glory. Now, here's the question. How important is glory? Well, to do it grammatically, the word glory or glorify, that whole conjugation of the word glory in just John 17 alone is found eight times. That is on his mind when he is praying is the glory of the Father, the glory of himself, that the Godhead gets the glory. A, a Baptist pastor that is now in heaven that is very highly esteemed and regarded is named Adrian Rogers. I think he's still speaking even though he's dead because he's on the radio. One thing he had to say is this. When we begin to pray more with the glory of God in mind, our prayer life is going to be more like the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. Did you hear that? When I pray, as I'm praying, whatever I'm praying about, that I'm conscious about God getting all the glory and all the honor, then I'm going to be praying a lot more like Jesus because that's how he often would pray, that he and the Father would get all the glory. Now the question is, is what does it mean to glorify the Lord? That's a neat question. And we could run it through all the times it's mentioned in Scripture and probably come up with a, a little bit of a composite of what it might mean. We could get really theological and dig deep into the Hebrew word and the Greek word and all of that. But if you don't mind, I want to make it as simple as possible, but will still be accurate for you, okay? When I glorify the Lord, when I bring glory to Him, what I'm taking would be the hidden mysteries, the richness of Christ and who He is and who God is. I'm taking all of that that at that moment might be hidden. And I'm now exposing that in my prayer to him by my life, my lips, and my lifestyle. By thought, talk, and walk. So all the world is knowing that whatever I know about Christ is biblically accurate. I am now exposing Christ and who he is to all the world. He's getting all the glory. You might say, well, can he get, can he get the glory when he's writhing on the cross before he dies? I'm going to show you how I believe it can. So whatever he's going through, there's glory in Christ. And so when I'm going to glorify the Lord, I want to expose everything there is about Christ, biblically accurate, with a pure heart unto him so all that around me would know it. That doesn't mean I'm going to jump up on um, maybe the, the table at Starbucks and say, glory to God. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But I know this, that if they get my drink wrong, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to demand my money back and lose my testimony. In other words, whatever I do, I want my life to bring glory to him. That's how we really bring that kind of glory to him. Now, there's three truths about his glory that might help you. You might want to jot these down. I believe they're in this passage. It might be a little bit veiled, but I think we can get it. He shows his glory for us on the cross. He shows his glory for us when it's on the cross. I like that about the Lord. And even on the cross, he's getting the most glory. Now, you might think, how can he get glory when he is on the cross. I want you to lean into this for just a moment. When you look at other religious, religious figures or starters of religions or isms or whatever you want to call them, most of them you are paying homage and you're crawling up some steps or you're doing something in some way because this person in of themselves is great. Now that is not to say that Jesus should not be seen as every knee bow or every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. I got that. But how do you do that on the cross? I believe it's done this way. 
When you see Christ going to the cross and taking all the sin on himself for you and me, can you think of a better place for the world to see what kind of a God we have in the person and work of Christ for us who are sinners? No other has ever done that for us. And the greatest glory is that he would do it for us. Not because we were good, because we're not. He did it for us because we were sinners. He did it for us so that through us and our redemption, he still receives all the glory. In fact, he bestows his grace upon us through his act on the cross because we now become, by believing in him through that cross effect, an object lesson of his grace. That's how he gets glory even in the cross for you and me. So again, he shows his glory for us on the cross. He shows his glory to us another way as well, and that is he shows us his glory as a believer in Christ I'm talking about. Unbelievers, he shows his glory in all the things he's created. I get that, and you do too. You know that. Whether the believing, unbeliever world sees that or not, he shows his glory there. But he's going to show his glory to us through all eternity. Look at a little phrase here. Go back to your Bibles here for a moment. Look in verse 5. It says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, can you imagine the disciples hearing him prayer that as they're walking down that dusty road, maybe towards Gethsemane, that he is now again reminding him that this wasn't just my brother who was born earlier than I was, like a couple of the disciples. It wasn't just the guy who was out there in the Galilee area. No, this is God. He was alive before the world was ever created. Let me ask you maybe a rhetorical question. Kids, listen to me on this one. Have you ever read anything about any of the old-time people? I'm talking about the people in the Old Testament days. Not in the Bible, but Old Testament days that began to ask the question, I wonder where this world came from. I wonder, because remember, they thought it was flat or on the back of an elephant or swimming in some kind of a cosmic sea. They knew nothing about the, the globe effect as we would know here from Isaiah. But going back to this, thinking, I wonder what this world was like back then. I wonder, I wonder, who started all this? And then here Jesus is now, again, from John 1 to here, saying, I was around even before this world was. I was with God the Father. Now, why am I telling you that? The glory of God was in Christ before he came to this earth. The glory of Christ was when he came to this earth and he gave us his glorious teaching about himself and God, eternity, etc. The glory of himself was on the cross and they were able to witness this glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for their sins. And then they would soon see after that his resurrection as he revealed himself at the glories of Christ. The glories of Christ as it would be experienced through the person and work of the Holy Spirit coming down and coming into them and then experiencing that intimacy that they now really can have because of the Spirit. And now they're watching God do glorious things in their life and ministry even to the point of their own death at that time knowing that all of God's glory is going to be revealed to them eventually even in eternity future because it existed in eternity past. Everything is to the glory of God. Now, I know that for some of you, you maybe come and say, I came today to learn how to get out of debt. I want to know how to discipline my kids or something. No, no, you've got to learn the glory of God. The rest of the stuff will fall into place. But you've got to experience and appreciate the glory of God for us. He did it for us on the cross. He reveals himself to us through the word, his creation, who he is. And we will know his glory throughout eternity because we've, came, we've come to faith alone in him. But there's one more. He wants to show us his glory through us. 
You wonder, how does he show his glory through us? Does, do I glow when I trust Christ as Savior? <laughs> I, I don't know. You might glow kind of because you got joy or peace or something like that. A lot of people do, but I'm not talking about a light glow, although we are the light of the world for Christ. He's in us. But I believe the greatest way that we will demonstrate the glory of Christ through us is when we live an obedient life. If I could say it a different way, when we live a life where Christ is living his life out through us, that we are now Christ-like in our thought, talk, and walk. Now, that glorious Christ of what he did for us on the cross gives us that power to do it. The glories of Christ that is to us that we can experience through his word and creation and the knowledge of him, and even in the future, we can't even grab all of that yet. That all of Christ-likeness is now in us, and when we let that come through us, the whole world then can see the glories of Christ the way we live, even in this fragile, frail, weak, depraved body and mind that we have. Now, where do I get some of that from? I, I like what Jesus had to say. Let's go back to the passage. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to him all, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.